Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Focus on Albany. My guest today is Zach Garofalo, and he works. Uh, with the with the issue of disabilities, and here he's here to talk about people with disabilities and the coronavirus. So I guess Zach, first of all, how are you? Sure, thanks for having me, Cynthia. Uh, I'm doing pretty well, despite everything. So are you working in the office? Or are you working from home? Uh, 100% of, of my office, the New York Association on Independent Living, uh, we're all working from home and following, you know, the, the guidance of the governor. So tell us a little bit about your organization and then talk about people with disabilities and how the coronavirus is affecting them. Sure. So I'm program director for the New York Association on Independent Living, and we're a statewide not-for-profit organization that represents independent living centers across New York State. Independent living centers provide uh, resources and services to people with disabilities and their loved ones. It's a a one-stop shop uh, for people with physical disabilities, mental health challenges, social-emotional behavioral issues. Um, centers, independent living centers are really on the front lines of, of making sure people with disabilities can live independent, self-directed lives in communities of their choice. Um, what I do is I'm the program director of the Open Doors Peer Program, and Open Doors is um, contracted by the state of New York to um, basically identify individuals living in, in, in nursing facilities and other long-term care settings and help them transition out. So, for instance, we have a lot of people who don't need to be in, in, in nursing facilities, um, but because of systemic issues such as, you know, needing a place to go, if you don't have a place to go, they're stuck in nursing facilities. And as such, it creates a massive burden on the Medicaid budget. So what my program does is we identify individuals who don't need nursing home level of care and then connect them to services and support so that they can transition uh, to independent living in, in the community with, you know, personal assistance, attendance, visiting nurses, um, you know, connect them to job training opportunities, continued learning, whatever it is to help them live that self you know, self-directed, independent life. Um, so, COVID-19, go ahead, I'm sorry. Go ahead. COVID-19 is a real, you know, we've seen a huge surge in in the number of COVID-19 patients in in not just Albany County, but, you know, the broader capital district across New York State and across 
uh, the country and the world recently, and and it, it's particularly problematic for for people with disabilities um, because we already have underlying health underlying health conditions. Um, the issue of quarantine for a lot of people with disabilities is, you know, nothing new though. Um, a lot of people with disabilities just by nature of, you know, not being able to go outside in some instances, practice this routine every day. If you're immunocompromised, you're already, you know, doing what we all should be doing, washing your hands, you know, maintaining at least six feet, you know, being vigilant in, in, in maintaining your wellness. Um, and so, you know, the steps that the Department of Health and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, CDC, have outlined for a lot of people with disabilities, those steps are being taken every day. Um, you know, and quite honestly, those are steps that we, precautions that, that we all should be taking uh, spread of any sort of virus or disease. So um, has your workload increased since all of this started happening? My workload is about the same. Um, I, I, for people who work for my program, who go out and visit visit nursing facilities because of the guidance that's been put in place by the governor and the and the New York State Department of Health, what we're doing is we're switching to all phone and video based sorts of communication. Um, in some places, we have transition specialists and peer advocates who are unable to get in contact with participants because not all nursing facilities, not all nursing facilities are created equal. Not all nursing facilities have, um, you know, the same level of access to technology to communication. And in times of crisis, if you don't have a phone in your room, it's going to be very difficult for us to, you know, to get into contact with you because the staff at the nursing home, the discharge workers, social workers, et cetera, they're, you know, they're focused on containing the spread and um, making sure that the nursing facility is, is able to run. So amongst the people that you serve, you know, when you put the TV on, people talk, talk about anxiety and, and stress, the people that you ser serve, have they exhibited more anxiety and stress and, you know, apprehension than usual? Yes, definitely. It's so important that people adhere to the, the, the protocols that have been put in place. A lot of people I work with are, you know, people with compromised immune systems, immunocompromised individuals and so this contact people skirting the regulations to go party on the beach or you know congregating in in large group settings or even just like going over to friends houses that's abysmal behavior and it's selfish and people need to you know to listen to the guidance issued by uh the centers for disease control because what you're doing is you're putting so many other people at risk even if you're asymptomatic or you're not displaying any symptoms, you could still be carrying this. And by doing so, you're putting people in grave, you're putting people like your mother, your grandmother, 
you know, older mm-hmm. people, people with disabilities, you're putting them at grave risk for capturing, for catching, for catching COVID-19. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you, when you put the TV on, yes, there has been deaths and we are much more technology advanced than in other pandemics. So, um, is there still a reason to get upset where in the past there wasn't all of the information that we have now? I think it's important that people under, you know, that people are knowledgeable about where they're getting their information from. Media literacy is, 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 is so incredibly important in this day and age. But particularly when this when this is about the life and liberty of of protecting our you know our fellow community members, you need to understand what are reliable sources and and you know what is disinformation. You know, so for example, going to the New York State Department of Health website, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, um, that's where you're going to find your most reliable, up to date information on what to do. We have so much, Cynthia, we have so much information at our fingertips and it's just streaming in at an unfathomable rate that it's, I think, difficult to process. And I think a lot of people are just like weary of information overload. Um, but that, you know, that should not transfer into a sense of apathy. You know, we all need to remain vigilant and and keep our awareness heightened during during this. This is something that you know, we have not seen on a scale such as this in past, you know, in pandemics that that people can remember. A lot of, you know, this is being equated to the 1918 Spanish flu. My great-grandfather right. had that. He lived in um, Bennington, Vermont. But we can, again, flatten the curve, slow the spread by maintaining that vigilance, washing our hands, you know, doing what you're supposed to, you know, maintaining that hygiene that you're supposed to maintain, um, you know, all the time, but just, you know, actually doing it, carrying hand sanitizer with 60% alcohol or more in it. That's Mm -hmm. that's what we really want to do, because if we don't, and what we're going to begin to see is we're going to see a surge in the number of sick people who are going to need to be hospitalized. We do not currently have the capacity. And even if, you know, the Army Corps of Engineers builds, you know, more temporary hospitals, um, it, we're, we're, the healthcare system is going to be overrun. Medical personnel are going to be put in jeopardy. And what we want to do is stay home, those who are most vulnerable. You do not want to get to the point where you have healthcare professionals having to choose who can get a ventilator and who can't, because that's, that's, that is going to be what happens, right? You know, initially it was like, who can take the test? Who cannot take the test? Now it's coming down the pike is who's going to get a vent, who's not going to get a vent. You don't want to have people making those moral decisions putting value on people's lives because unfortunately it's going to fall on people with disabilities whose lives are going to be disvalued in this period of time. 
We could get into ageism where people over a certain age could be disqualified. Um, you know, we saw this with Sandy down at Bellevue Hospital in 2012 um, with so many people going in. You've seen these with mass trauma events in 2003 in Toronto where people ha- where, where medical professionals on the fly have to make decisions about who's, you know, whose life is more valuable to get events. You know, is it an older person? Is it a younger person? Um, there's some guidance coming out in case that becomes an issue, which it will. But what we can do now that as much as possible is to really to heed, heed the advice of medical professionals and, and stay home and stay away from people because we need to make this a longer duration event, not a short-term duration, which, you know, you'll see a ton of people who are infected and have to go, you know, they'll flood the hospitals. We want this to be a much longer event. So in, in our area, meaning the Albany area, we have the two big hospitals are um, Albany Med, Albany Med. And, and St. Peter's. Are they filled to capacity? Do you know if they are or not? I don't know where we stand locally, but I do know that the, all of the healthcare professionals, you know, my heart goes out to them, uh, you know, put, for putting their bodies on the line every day. And if we don't, you know, contain this and slow the spread, we're not going to have the resources that we need to, you know, to, to, to treat people, um, you know, and to save as many lives as possible. So you, you deal with people who are disabled, people who have disabilities. Now, disability, a person with disability, one person could be different than somebody else with a different disability. So how is this being impacted for people who, whose health has been compromised already? That's a great question. So we have, speaking for my program, we have, you know, people who we've transitioned out of nursing facilities across the state. And, and a lot of them, you know, they have in-home care. They have, they're on a program called CDPAS, Consumer Directed Personal Assistance. And through that, you have an attendant. Now, you have a couple of chronic conditions, complicating factors, you know, whatever, whatever, terminology people want to use, um, you know, you're at greater risk of having complications with COVID-19. A lot of these people have, have assistance, attendants coming in and out of, out of their homes every day. So now the attendants, we got to keep the attendants safe just as much as we have to keep people, you know, who are, who are immunocompromised, who are in that population. We have to keep, you know, the attendants safe. Because without the attendants who are performing a critical function to helping people with disabilities live independently in the community, they're going to get sick. The people with disabilities are going to get sick, and it's, it's going to create a horrible, horrible problem. Um, if an attendant can't go to work, there are people in Albany who this, who, this will, who this could potentially affect. Some of my friends, some people I'm close with, um, if the attendant gets sick, 
and a person's on a vent for, you know, for assistance breathing, you know, that person could be in serious, serious jeopardy. Um, and that's why, and, and these people are mandated to go to work. You know, they're on the, the so-called essentials list. We all, right. I think, I think this is incredibly, you know, my heart goes out to everybody who has to go to work in this. You know, Cynthia, the McDonald's in the plaza under the Capitol is still open. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I mean, some of it just doesn't really make sense. You know, we should be minimizing contact as much as possible. But, like, there's no need for that McDonald's to be open. There's well, no need for in the Capitol to be open. It, it's a takeout, so I don't think takeouts have been affected by the restaurant closures, right? Well, takeout hasn't been affected, but you're still having people congregating in very small, warm settings. So mm-hmm. I understand that, you know, that essential, you know, that some functions have to go on. But take pharmacies, for instance. People are going into the pharmacies. If a pharmacist is out, it's very difficult to get to get coverage just because of the number of pharmacies. Pharmacists are in this exempt, you know, the exempt profession, the essential profession. Why are we not switching all pharmacy business to drive-through at this point? Okay. Right. You know, because we want to we want to protect as many people as possible. Again, my uh, my my gratitude goes out to everybody who's out there working, law enforcement, first responders. Um, and I get that, that some people, you know, they're heeding the call. They're doing what they want to do. But then they're also risking going home and giving this, you know, to their loved ones. And hopefully their loved ones yeah. don't have to go out, you know, and work with work with folks. But, you know, sometimes not the case. that's not the case. Bringing kids to these um you know, places where they have for, you know, essential workers for child care. Again, kids are being, and I don't want to be alarmist, but I also want people to, you know, to know, like, what the situation is. Um, you know, kids are potentially being exposed. It's really unprecedented what we're in. Hmm. And, you know, what? when I put the news on yesterday, and I saw that Rand Paul, Senator Rand Paul from Texas, had contra- contracted the disease. Um, and, you know, he had the test, and then he went out swimming, and he was with uh, other people. That did not set a good example, I don't think. No, that's not appropriate behavior. We have, you know, there are, I think, a few senators, right? like five senators at this point who are in self-quarantine or isolation at this point. Um, right. And a couple yeah. members. We, yeah. We have a couple members of New York State Legislature that have been, you know, stricken with this. So do you think the response by government has been good? You know, the federal government was very – slow to, you know, slow to catch on. 
anybody who's paying attention to international news, you don't need, you know, you don't need intelligence reports or any of that stuff. You know, we were so focused on negotiation, you know, trade negotiations with China. When this began in Wuhan province in, in November 2019 and continued to kind of, to kind of take hold, it, would, it was evident the way people were talking about this from the very beginning, that this wasn't a matter of containing it. It was going to come. So I think, you know, I think that, that President Trump did what he needed to do with the travel ban in the beginning, but it was, it was really too late. And honestly, the messaging is, what the, is, is a real big problem from the federal government at least this whole waffling around the seriousness and now, you know, totally take turn, making a 180 turn. Um, you know, it's, it's not productive. It's not helpful. Um, people need to take this seriously, but when you have the messaging from the very top, you know, making this into not really a big deal, it's, it's, it's like, who do you trust? Do I trust the government? What do I trust? New York state, I think has had, you know, real decisive, bold leadership doing what needs to be done and what you can do, you know, in an unprecedented situation, you know, in an unprecedented situation like this, regardless of what people feel of, of Governor Cuomo, he has on point, consistent messaging every day in his, you know, in his daily press conferences. Um, and again, like you can, whatever you think of, of the governor, um, you know, he, he has had a consistent tone and he's delivered accurate figures to the people. And I think that's, you know, I think that's much needed at this point in time. So, you know, you deal with the, with people with disabilities and a person with disability, it could be any age. What's the age bracket in which you're, uh, serving your clientele? Is it younger or older people or somewhere in between? That's a great question, Cynthia. Um, so the youngest person that we've transitioned out of an institutional setting was 10 months old. And wow. the oldest person, yeah, that was, that was, you know, a few years ago. Um, and again, that was because the single, single parent of this child wasn't really the parent had their own you know had their own uh you know i guess complicating factors um this child was institutionalized from a very you know basically from the start of life had that mother been taught how to again um clear that baby's you know clear that baby's throat that baby would not have needed to be institutionalized um and then we have people on the very high end um, and again, it's it's a systemic issue. You might not necessarily need nursing home level of care. It's an issue of it's an issue of access to money, access to resources. Because if you're sent to the hospital, even for like breaking a bone, but you don't have a safe place to go, or your place is deemed to be uninha- uninhabitable, you're going to go to a nursing facility. So it's really an issue of resources here, and that's basically what we attempt to do, connect people to the resources that they need to live independently. It really skews to about under 65, though, to the under 65 population that, that, that 
that want to utilize this service to transition out those Cynthia. So, you know, <clears throat> younger people are contracting the, the disease, maybe not as much as, you know, somebody older. So do you think that this is, this disease is not discriminatory against any age. Would you say that's a true statement? None of us are immune. The symptoms that we display, you know, it's it's really going to vary. Um, and the fact, you know, the figures that they have out in terms of the death rate, um, you know, what we're hearing now is that more young people are getting it. But I think that's, you know, when you peel those numbers back, you're, we're just seeing that more young people are being tested. Um, you know, nobody's immune. It's just, it's just how, how it, you know, manifests in your system, what it looks like. And, you know, I've heard that this came from, China because of a bat? Is that what you're... you're... Well, I mean, that that was what initial reports, uh, you know, back in in early 2020, like right after... So there was a lot of talk about, you know, canceling the Chinese New Year, and, you know, which they did. Um, But yeah, you know, the very original reports were from a market in Wuhan province. and people got sick. But then there were also cases, and this is where you have that that community contact, the community spread. Then there were reports of people in other parts of China who were not connected to that market in Wuhan province catching it. But the link, the missing link, was that community spread from the very beginning. So it was presenting itself. Some people were symptomatic, and some people were asymptomatic, but they were still carriers. But yeah, early reports. Mm-hmm. You know, my my understanding was, you know, the there was a, and I forget what what the animal is called, but there was like an intermediary between the bat and the human that people were eating. Oh wow, wow! So Zach, in our final moments of this show, if anybody would like to contact your organization, how could they do so? Um, That's a great, great point, Cynthia. Um, If you want to get in touch with the New York Association on Independent Living, please feel free to uh, email me at zgaraffalo at org, or you can call our main number, which is forwarded. Um, You know, it's all forwarded because we're all working from home. 518-465-4650. And Cynthia, I can share that with you in case you want to put it up for your listeners. Okay. Great. So I'm sure that this is a crisis that's not going to go away tomorrow. So as this terrible story evolves, would you be interested in coming back on Focus on Albany and give us updates on how this is affecting people with disabilities. Yes, definitely. And hopefully we can minimize this impact on, you know, some of our most vulnerable community members by practicing social distancing and, you know, maintaining, you know, keeping, keeping travel, you know, to a minimum. 
Thank you so much, Zach. So you've been listening to Zach Garaflo. And the name of your organization again? Uh, the New York Association on Independent Living. Thank you. And I'm Cynthia Pooler. This is Focus on Albany. So if you like this show, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, download on your smartphone, subscribe to iTunes. If you have a comment about this show, hashtag Focus on Albany. Zach, I'm, I'm always so pleased to talk with you. And everybody, have a great day. Stay safe. And hopefully pretty soon life might be back to normal again. <laughs> Bye. Let's hope. Bye-bye. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.